Jiji Nandra. Let's start with the no card mantra. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Sisanam, Namo Ayalianam, Namo Uvachayanam, Namo Uvisavasanam, Esu Panchanamokaru, Salva Pava Pranasano, Mandalayam Chasarvesim, Pranam Havai Mangalam. Well, I hate to tell you, but last week we got a lesson in how far along we are on our spiritual path. And that lesson was provided by our children. So last week I gave everybody a dollar that represented my gratitude, respect, and appreciation for your time here in dad's class. Did anybody not receive the dollar? I did. I did. I missed it. So, last week our children all got a dollar as well in one of their Patsala classes. And they all decided to donate the money they received. Now for a child to donate a dollar is a big deal. It's like you donating a hundred dollars, yeah. right? So, why didn't we donate the money after we received it? I donated it. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. Where did you donate it? I put it in Mandir uh, uh, Bandara. That's fantastic. Why didn't we do it? Why? What makes you different from me? So this is an example of what we talked about before, Lesha, right? Your state of mind and how pure it is based on how far along the spiritual path you are. It didn't even occur to me to donate it. Just like it doesn't even occur to the men who come upon the mango tree to pick the mangoes off the ground instead of cutting off the branches, right? So it seems in some ways our kids are further along the spiritual path than we are because of their relation, right? So today I'd like to talk about money. So if you have, take a dollar from your wallet and put it in front of you and we'll talk about it. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you rip it up this time. <laughs> I know that's what you're all concerned about. So, as we talk about money today, then um, look at the dollar and see if you can look past the dollar. See if can you look past what the value it gives to you. Hey, thanks for everybody joining us online. Today we're talking about money. Okay, so does anybody know what the characteristics of money are? What makes something good money? The value it provides. The value, great. One characteristic is the store of value, actually. Right. That is, good money, you can put it away, you can save it, and it will be worth the same when you take it out. Right. So it's a good store of value, great. <coughs> what are the other characteristics? It buys you, right? It buys, it buys you things, perfect. Medium of exchange, they call it. That is, everybody accepts it. Right. Um, Thing, money that is accepted more places is better than money that is accepted less places. That's why the US dollar is a great medium of exchange because it is accepted in more places than, for example, the Indian rupee. Right. There's one more characteristic of money. We have store of value and medium of exchange. You can donate. You can donate it. So that makes it a good medium of exchange. What other characteristics make good money? 
The last one is tough. It's called a unit of account. That is, it is a standard of measurement that is easily divisible. And when something is a unit of account, you can perform accounting functions with it and statistical analysis with it, and businesses can forecast the future with it. So those are the three characteristics of money. A medium of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. Another way to look at it, money you can spend it, you can donate it, or somebody will take it away from you. Right. Okay, you cannot take it with you. <clears throat> right. Hey, come on in. We're talking about money today. And if you can, you can take a bill out of your wallet and put it in front of you while we talk about money. Also, money is the oldest meta-reality, okay? A meta-reality is a story made real by our belief in it, okay? Come on in. We're talking about everybody's favorite topic, money. <laughs> If you have a dollar bill, you can take it out and put it out in front of you. So imagine we're on a deserted island, okay? We're standing in a circle like this, and there are seashells in the middle of the circle. We all hold hands, we close our eyes, and we wish for the seashells to start levitating in the air. It's not going to happen, okay? Because seashells obey the laws of physics, okay? Now imagine a different scenario. Same scenario, except we all hold our hands, we close our eyes, and we wish that the seashells were money. Well, if we all believe that the seashells are money, we can start using it as money. We can start exchanging it as money because it's a medium of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. Okay? So, that's because economics is not a science based on rationality. Physics is a science based on rationality. Economics is a science based on irrationality, which is why they call it the dismal science, okay? Because it's not based on, come on in. In the old days, they were using broken shells. Uh, let's make room for them. We don't want people sitting in the back. Let's make room for everybody. Hey, come on in. Don't worry, we're not ripping up our money today. I know everybody's scared about ripping up our money. Just uh, take a dollar bill and put it out in front of you. That way, as we talk today, keep on looking at your dollar bill and seeing if you can see past the illusion of money. So we talked about a couple of things so far. We talked about the characteristics of money are a medium of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. And we talked about money being the oldest meta-reality. That is, a story we all believe in that makes it come true and makes it useful for us. I liken it to a meta-reality to the story of me taking a plane going to India. Okay? Why am I comfortable taking a plane and going to India? Well, because I believe that the airline hires qualified people. I believe that the airline hires engineers and safety people to take a plane. I'm comfortable with doing that. Everybody else believes it. Everybody else believes I can sue the airline if they don't perform their job. And I believe that, you know, it will land safely in India. I have no proof of any of that. 
But right. nobody has any proof of any of that. But everybody believes. So that's why it's called a meta-reality. It's not true. The reality is this, this money is a piece of paper with green ink on it. But we all believe we can exchange it for things. And we all believe it has value. So that makes it have value. That's why it's a meta-reality. Okay? There are very many meta-realities that we all depend upon for our lives every, every day. Hey, come on in. Hey, is it like that joint today? No, no problem. Okay, so let's talk about the history of money. Okay, so the history of money is divided into two groups. First, we have what the tangible money is. And second, we have what the uh, credits and debits is. That is the ledger system of money. So the first use of money is as a credit and debit ledger system. And it's called a tally stick. And so the tally stick was typically a bone, okay? And you made notches in the bone. And that not, you, those notches represented the amount that somebody owed you. So whenever somebody owed you more of an amount, you'd make more notches. And sometimes the bones were traded like for favors and things, but typically not. Um, so that just kept track of who owes what to whom, okay? This tally stick. That's actually the first concept of money that was ever made, okay? With regard to physical money, um, in the ancient Egypt, Babylon, India, and China, what you would have is these warehouses of commodities. So let's just talk about grain, okay? And so the farmers would deposit the grain in the warehouse and they'd receive a clay token. That meant they could receive a unit of grain in exchange for the clay token. And so now sometimes these, instead of going back and forth and getting the grain, sometimes I would exchange clay tokens to somebody else. That's the first example of physical money that we have. In Mesopotamia, it was called a shekel. And that was used about 3000 BCE. Okay. Okay. Um, so next, so we have these clay tokens, right? So next we go to using metal as money. And it's not gold and silver like you would think. First it's bronze, okay? Um, so they first used the bronze. The beauty of using metal as money is that it has the value inside of it. So when, cause, because there's a utility in the metal. So at first it wasn't bronze coins, okay? Um, it was these heavy bricks of bronze that you would just trade with each other because bronze was useful. Uh, and then what? it was like five pounds of bronze, okay? Then the government would stamp it. So now we're all trading like huge blocks of bronze, okay? And so then uh, people said, well, there's a need because we want money to be a medium of exchange. There's a need to make half pounds or 2.5 pounds of bronze and things like that. Hey, come on in. We're talking about money today. Everybody's favorite topic. And then finally, we use these called metal coins, all right? And so there's a need to have these metal coins. And then once we have bronze coins, then we have gold and silver coins as well. Uh, the Egyptians in the fourth millennium BCE, they used gold bars as a medium of exchange. So it's easy to go to make the leap from bronze to gold and silver. The first coins were um, manufactured in India and China around the Aegean Sea. And in the Indian coins were from the, Gange, the Ganges River Valley. 
and they're punched metal discs. Okay? So you have these metal coins, and you punch them. And what happens is then you can put a string through them and wear them and transport them easily. So you have these punched metal discs that you string together. So the first time the government starts minting coins and they start putting intricate stamps on them so people can't counterfeit them. Um, that doesn't happen in India. That happens in Europe, especially Greece and Cyprus. That is, instead of punching them out, they put imprint them and then people start sharing them. The problem with having the value in the coin, okay, is then people start shaving off the coins, right? So I, I save a little bit of gold and I give you what's supposed to be an ounce of gold, but it's not an ounce anymore because I shaved it, okay? So that's one of the problems with having coins. Uh, then in 800 uh, AD, the Emperor Charlemagne issues a standard coin called the Silver Penny in Europe. Uh, that lasts an incredibly long time, the Silver Penny. Uh, that lasts from 794 to 1200. It's the only denomination of coin available. So imagine like the only thing you had was something worth the value of maybe $5, a $5 bill. Just everybody uses $5 bills for everything. Okay. We know that's not good money because it's not easily divisible, but you know, people, progress takes time, right? So that lasts an incredibly long time. Um, the silver penny. Hey, me here. We're talking about money today. Uh, so the silver penny was 0.05 grams of silver. Uh, in, Eng in England, they made it 1.3 grams and they made a large coin. They call that a shilling. So a dozen pennies is a shilling and 20 shillings is a pound. And we're talking about silver. And silver means a high quality of silver is 92.5% silver. It's called sterling silver. Okay? So that's why the English money is called pound sterling. That's where it comes from. The purity of the silver and the amount that they had in these silver pennies. The silver penny was theirs or that was from Greece? Sorry. The silver penny was from Europe. Yeah. Okay, so questions or comments about that? One of the Muslim king started using leather coin. Right. The first type of coin right. The first, all the first types of coins were like, before metal was like leather, bamboo, wood. People tried to use all those, but there are problems with all of those that metal solves. Okay, so paper money. Okay, so after we go from metals, we do paper money. And that was introduced in China. And we call that the banknote because they're actually used by the banks. So before the government gets involved, we have banknotes, whereas each banknote is worth a certain amount. And depending on who accepts them is depending on if they've heard of that bank or not, right? So imagine you have, well, you don't have to imagine, you have all different currencies, right? And they all float in value with, with respect to one another. Same thing with these banknotes, that is, how easy, before you accept the banknote, you wonder if you've heard of the bank or how easy it is to go to the bank and get the value from the bank, uh, things like that. So, and this all happens, a lot of it happens in Italy because they are very wealthy at the time. Um, so in Italy, you have developed this system called what we now know as credit. Before they called it a letter of credit. Now the problem the letter of credit solves is, as you mentioned, 
when you're traveling, you're very vulnerable to thieves, right? And if you're carrying a bunch of money, then you're even more vulnerable. But if you're carrying a letter of credit, you're not. Because like Western Union, um, you deposit money at one location, you travel without fear, and you receive the money at the other location, and they talk, right? So this letter of credit concept is the same. But what you it's different from what you might be thinking because the letter of credit is personal to you. It's just a letter. It's saying, I, bank, have affirmed that Timir Chera has deposited this amount of money, so when he comes to you, you give him this amount of money. And nobody else can redeem it. Well, kind of like a check, right? Um, and so nobody can steal the letter of credit from you. Um, but then these letters of credit started becoming bearer paper, which means I handed it over to Bavin, and I write, at the bottom I write, and Bavin too, and I sign it, right? And then, so he had it. But he bought it at a discount because the bank might not give it to him. So he bought it at 80 cents on the dollar, this letter of credit. So now we have these banknotes and these letters of credit floating around. And then to make it even more complicated, you have this thing about goldsmiths. So in London, we have a lot of people depositing their gold. And they all do it with the government. But the government steals their money. It steals their gold. So they don't trust the government anymore. They trust these private people, private bankers called goldsmiths. And the goldsmiths take their gold and they issue them a piece of paper, just like a banknote. Except now it's a goldsmith note. And people start trading these pieces of paper instead of going back and receiving the gold. Because it's a pain, right? If the goldsmith gives me a piece of paper and I want to give that exact same value of gold to Ashokoko, I don't want to have to go back and get the gold and give him the gold. And he goes deposit at the same goldsmith and he gets his piece of paper. It's a gigantic pain. So I just give him the piece of paper. So now, so now we have these gold trading pieces of paper floating around. But now the goldsmiths get so much power, they invent fractional reserve banking. That is, there are more pieces of paper floating around than can be redeemed at once, okay? And they write these into their contracts saying, we can use your gold for whatever we want and we can issue out multiple pieces of paper. Okay, so of course, when you have fractional reserve banking, then you have the concept of runs on the banks and a crisis of confidence in these goldsmiths. So these goldsmiths taking their new idea of fractional reserve banking start to become bankers. And the English create the what we think of as a modern bank where they take your money, they make investments with it. Not everybody can get their money at the same time. Kind of what you th would think of as a bank was invented in England. In these, with these combinations of banknotes, pieces of gold paper floating around, letters of credit all kind of um, coalesce into the idea of that huge building, you know. And now that you have a confidence problem, you want to assure people that you're stable. So you make a huge building and it looks like a Greece temple and you call it a bank and now nobody knows what a temple in Greece looks like because it looks exactly like an English bank. Because it's, you know, people have confidence. They see these columns. It costs a lot of money to have this building. I go in there and everything's ritualized and everybody's talking quietly and we're all whispering about money and it makes it seem like it's a stable environment, right? But it's not. They've been cheating and scamming people for years, just like they always do, right? Okay, so I talked a lot. Questions about that?
India one time <coughs> borrowed money from England. They wanted India to put uh, as a security the gold. So almost 75% of their gold reserve went there. And from that day on, they never borrowed money on gold. <laughs> yeah, and they gave him paper in return, right? <laughs> you give me gold, I give you paper. It's the oldest scam in existence, right? I'm good for it, I promise, right? Okay, so in 1971, President Nixon closes the gold window. That is, money is no longer tied to gold. You Previously, you could exchange a dollar that looked a lot like this for a certain amount of gold in America. And the confidence in money was based on the fact that you could get gold for it at any time. This is called the gold window. President Nixon closes the gold window and all money floats, okay? All money floats with respect to each other. So now we've gotten rid of any kind of backing of the money, okay? And the government now controls the money. The government is in charge of the mint. And now it was bad to counterfeit money before, but now the penalties go higher because we need to maintain trust in the system, okay? You didn't mention the Bitcoin. Oh, we're only it's on coming. 1971. Bitcoin <laughs> right. is in 2008. We're yeah. getting there. It's coming. We're definitely getting there. It's coming. Okay, so now things start to happen very fast. So the change in money happens across hundreds of years, okay? But as we're seeing, new money is adopted very fast now, okay? So now we've all accepted paper. We've all accepted floating paper. And people are still gnashing their teeth about Nixon closing the gold window. People still hate it for that. Um, so next we talk about uh, cards, okay? So now cards are money, like credit cards. The first people to do that, as you might expect, are the Bank America card, the MasterCard, and then the American Express. They create the first cards. This is before Nixon closes the gold window. It starts in 58, but it really uh, goes, it really uh, kind of supercharges adoption in the 80s, where people think cards are money now. Okay, and then cards are a very old form of a letter of credit. You give it to the merchant, you say, I'm good for it, the merchant trusts you, and um, things happen like that. <clears throat> so now everybody has a card in their wallet and nobody bats an eye about it. Next we have, well, since we have cards, okay, those cards are all, the settling of the accounts all happen digitally. So why shouldn't money be digital? So now you have online banking. We're all used to digital money. That is, money is not a physical item anymore. Money is a notional amount that's kept in your account in bits, zeros and ones, okay? We all accepted digital money. In fact, most money in existence is not physical anymore. Most money in existence is digital, okay? And last, we come to cryptocurrency. Crypto solves what's called the double spend problem of digital money, that is, how do I lend people money without a bank in between, without them copying the money, because money is ones and zeros, and spending it before I get a chance to settle the account, right? And Bitcoin solves that problem by decentralization. That is, you have a node, a network of nodes, and they all accept transactions, and depending on what the majority accepts, that, those are the transactions that actually happen. So that distributed ledger allows for decentralization, which solves the double spend problem. And so now money is purely online. Now money, I can transfer a store of value to anywhere around the world without a middleman in between, like a bank. And this is the first time that, ha that happened, and that happened in 2008. 
So questions about anything we talked about, okay? So now take a look at your dollar bill in front of you and see if you notice it differently, okay? We talked about the characteristics of money, medium of, of exchange, store of value, unit of account. We talked about that money is the oldest meta-reality that we believed in. And we briefly went through the history of money, that is the history of credits and debits and the history of physical money. So I talked a lot, so questions about, uh, comments about any of that. In order to avoid the black money, Modi did uh, <coughs> demonetize $2,500. And the, the question was, did it help India? And I would say yes, now black money vanished. Right. The abolition of certain denominations uh, created that all that all illegal operators of money were holding because it was in, for some reason, they held only those denominations. You think it was a good thing? Initially, people had a problem, but after a few days, the problem gone. So why do I tell you all this? Why did we go through any of that? Because I want you to see through the illusion of money. Once you see money for what it really is, you can start to fight its power over you. And once you do that, you can start to battle greed and move forward on the spiritual path. Okay? What is the truth about money? The truth is that money makes you a slave. The truth is that money is your enemy. And the truth is that most people want to live in a world free from money. But nobody knows how to escape the money system that we created to bring about that world. So now take a look at the money in front of you and realize it's a system of control. Okay? That we cannot get out of. You have to believe in two things. The human being have asakti, that means attachment to money and not to die, to live. And if you start detaching, then you can overcome this money or living asakti. Right. Does anybody remember what the five vows are? The five vows. So, the five vows we take as lay, laymen. Non-violence, non-stealing, truth, non-lying, celibacy, celibacy, and non-attachment. Non-attachment, very good. So, we have this attachment to money. And it's, money is so, so important to understand what money is that it's the kind of the main purpose of this non-attachment vow that we take. It's non-attachment to material things, and the most material thing is money. Okay, so what does the book say about non-attachment, about money? Not to own money or property or ornaments, but to own only the bare minimum necessary. We should keep our heart kind and tender and help others by means of actions and word and wealth according to our abilities. We should generously donate our money for worthy causes. This is how you fight non-attachment. This is how you fight attachment, which controls your life. 
the, what does the book say the purpose of donation is? To atone for your sins like unjust earnings. So maybe you earned unjust money. Earn money unjustly. Well, if you donate money, you atone for those sins. To employ in good activities your excess wealth saved after using it for your own comfort. So any excess money you have, you should donate. Because you want to be... Um, you want to... Uh, encourage the activities of others to accomplish philanthropic activities like constructing and maintaining educational institutions hospitals religious places etc and to serve righteous persons saints the learned etc so the book wants you to donate to advanced jain religion um, so that's what the book says you should do why you should donate money there are two aspects of donating money one is called Mewar, one is called Nishin. Well, if you have somebody while you're donating, or make sure this guy become, uh, I want to help him because he's in trouble right now. That is well one. From this shape point of view, you cannot change anybody's fate. Even if you want to donate, who's going to get donate? Who has done the punya karma is going to get donate. The, the reason we are donating because we want to do the operation. Yes. So whenever you're donating it, he said, I have so much money, I can donate it. That's the only reason you should do it. So, does anybody else see their money differently? Now that you know about the history, it's, it's very hard to see past what it represents. It's very hard to see this as a piece of paper with green writing on it. That's why it's fun for us to go to the mint, right? We've never seen the money not cut up before. We've never seen them... Uh, put the green ink on the piece of paper that's how, because it's very hard to see past the value that this can get me and to see that it's a piece of paper cut out from a bunch of pieces of paper that people rolled green, green ink over does anybody see it differently? I want to see it differently but I still can't <laughs> right. you, can't, you just see it for what it, exactly. you just see what it represents you don't see that's why they say money is an illusion. I can't even, I'm telling you this is an illusion. You can't even see that this is an illusion. You only see what this can buy you. It's a value. And if you don't believe me, you, if you don't believe me, look, these are supposed to be the same. Look, I'm taking a, I don't even have $20. I do have $20. These are the same. It's the same size of paper. It's the same green ink. But do you see these as the same? No. No, of course not. It's a $20 bill and a $1 bill. If I told you to take one, you take this one. If you had no idea, if this was Indian money and I had no idea what it was, and one was pink and one was blue and I couldn't read the numbers on it, I might take this one. I don't know, because they're the same. Would you ever do that? Knowingly, no. <laughs> no. So these are the same. So this is a good exercise, right? If you see past the illusion of money or not. That is, put these in front of you and see if you can see that they're the same. They're the same size of paper, the same green ink, the same, same everything. <coughs> see, I'm even putting this one back in my wallet. Why am I doing that? Why didn't I put that one back in my wallet? Because I don't want you to steal my $20 bill. This is, nobody here would steal a $20 bill, but I still put it in my wallet and I still put it in my backpack. Why didn't I leave it there? I, that's why, because of this power that money has over us. I still, I told you I wanted to leave it there and I still haven't taken it back out and put it there. See, now I gotta do that. 
Now I gotta take it back out of my wallet and put it on the ground and leave it there for the rest of my class. With the rest of my money, because it doesn't mean anything. There, that's all, look, that's all my money. That's it, I think. Oh no, I got a debit card too. Great, okay, perfect. Now I can feel happy about that. Okay, so questions or comments about any of that? So again, what, what you talked about is nothing new, right? I've been knowing this for a long, long time. Still, and I don't think even after this, an hour of talking, <laughs> how do I make that change? I have a problem. I have a, I have a problem of holding on to the money. I donate and do stuff, but may, maybe 5% of my yearly income, max. But rest of it, I have that greed of making more and more, right. like non-stop. Right. Like this morning, I got up at seven. I have a construction site going on. I know I'm going to make three thousand dollars today. Right, right. I went seven o'clock. Sheetal was mad at me. Mm -hmm. Still went. I'm giving my personal experience. Of course, that's what we want. I retired at 2008 when I was 62. When I saw money has three use: either you spend it, you donate it, or somebody will take it away. Once that is fixed in your brain, it becomes easy to... Because I donate almost 100% of monthly income. Because I don't need... I can live without it. So when that thought comes in your mind, then you will lose affection for it. I agree. When we get retired, then we have those thoughts. No, I, I, I retired when I was 62. So it's not that. We try to retire early, but when you retire, you are out of your... That's very practical. But you have, to, you have to know that you are not going to take the money with you when you die. Once that is fixed in your brain, it becomes easy. And that is what my question is, how do I fix it in my brain? So you start practicing it daily. Money is not going to come with me. Okay? I'm not going to change anybody's fate. A lot of people say I'm saving for my kids, for my wife, for my grandkids. Everybody brings their own karmas. That's billion, yeah. Okay? You cannot change anybody's foot. My father gave me 100 rupees to go to Bombay. And I did my chemical engineering with my National Merit Scholarship and all this. So if my father says, if I don't give that 100 rupees, you will not have graduated. And that's not true. Right? That's true, yeah. So basically, your karma is So don't think I'm going to save it for my old age or for my kids or for my wife or my grandkids. Mm -hmm. Okay, you cannot change in this way. Right. Because five mithyatva you have to remember. One, your body and atma is, if you think this one, that's mithyatva. Sensual pleasure is a happiness, that's mithyatva. Papunya is a dharma, is mithyatva. You believe your karta in somebody's fate, that is mithyatva. Okay, and you are gyata, that means you know everything, that is mithya. So you have to take first of all those mithya out of it. You cannot change anybody's fit. Yeah. Okay, that's my two cents. Oh, perfect. Anybody else have any? The purpose of this is for us to help each other along our spiritual path. Does anybody have any help for Kinjo? Let me ask you for your question, right? So, we, we live in samsara, we have to figure out how to 
live in before. So how do you, yours, like you said, retirement, but if we have to live in society and have costs and we work, right? Then how do we plan from the from that perspective? So I have a job, I have some amount of income, and I plan for my mortgage, the car, food, I need that. So I have to have some planning in case my job is not there. How do I provide? Unless if I have a farm in the backyard where I'm growing all my grains and the vegetables, which nobody has here. So how do we plan for that? Living in, again, it's all attachment. We need food, A lot of time what happened, we increase our desire. I want to have this, I want to no, have So I, I can, con oh. desire yeah. I can control. Okay. But and in necessity. Why do you have to find out what is the goal in your life? no. I'll, I'll give a lot of examples. People, my son-in-law, my wife's son-in-law, more than thousand crore rupees. So is it to do with the education? Is it to do your hard work? I'm hard working. I have education. So punya karma, punya karma is responsible for what you're getting. Your family, your money, your status, everything. So believe in them. So that's why you have to have tremendous faith in your religion. Once you have that, everything becomes secondary. And the Punya Karma will only bring you money. So just remember. It's a matter of degree. You're asking, you're asking why, how can I achieve perfection? We're not asking you to achieve perfection. We're asking you to do what you can to advance on the spiritual path. Once you get there, you're going to take diksha, you're going to forsake your family, you're going to live in an ashram. Once you get there, you're asking, how can I do that now? Well, we're not there yet. Right now, we can, can we agree to donate more? Can we agree to combat the, the clutches, combat the power that money has over our lives by realizing for what it is? I'm not asking you to quit your job now. That is, I'm at, you would have to be more far advanced and more far advanced than I am for me to ask you to quit your job. That's a step for somebody else to take, for future you to take. What I'm asking you to do is recognize the slavery that you're in and let's find ways to combat it. Uh, with regards to what Kinjal said, you are starting to touch upon what the book has, about, has said about money for money's sake. You said you were going to make $3,000 today. That filled you with a, a kind of happiness that you're going to do that. And I noticed in your tone, that's really kind of apart from what that $3,000 can buy you. You don't really care about that right. anymore. You just care about making the money. It's not about what it can do for you exactly. or about providing for your kids. That's one of the first things you have to stop. Okay? You have to realize that money is there for a purpose. Okay? Not for money's sake. Because now you're really talking about slavery, about money for money's sake. Now you're really talking about not what it represents. Now you're talking about an addiction, okay? Like drugs for drug sakes. Not because the drug doesn't make me high anymore. Why am I doing the drug? I don't know. I'm just getting the drug to do the drug now. It doesn't have any effect on me, right? 
Now you're talking about just making money to make money, not to, to improve your life or to just, <laughs> just because I have an opportunity. And that that is yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Right. What I did is, you know, almost two three years back, what I did is I calculated my monthly expense. My monthly expense is no more than twenty five hundred dollars, living lavishly. Right. I'm making way more than that. Right. But I still can't stop it. And right. The opportunity comes. Like yesterday, I got an opportunity. Can't just say no. I don't know why. I just can't say no. Right. Right. And some a lot of times that comes from insecurity. And I'm not saying this is you. Right. I, you right. know, I don't yeah. know. A lot of times that inability to say no comes from an insecurity we had when you were younger. If you're if your situation was unstable about money, you have to fix your relationship with money. And my first thing to you. My first piece of advice to you would be to make it represent something again, not just money for money's sake. Make it represents, well, yeah, I could get 3,000 and that will be just X amount more in my bank, but what else could I be doing? Couldn't I be improving my relationship with my family instead? Couldn't I forego that to, you know, take a walk? Isn't that, couldn't I forego that to exercise? Couldn't make it so that you have an opportunity cost and a great big opportunity cost that outweighs. And the reason you can calculate that opportunity cost is because you can calculate the marginal value of the 3000 is not 3000 to you. The marginal value of the 3000 is like $5 to you. Whereas your time is better spent doing those other things. And that means you need to have goals in your life right. apart from making money to increase the opportunity cost. And what are those goals? That's one of the hardest questions, right. and so, I cannot answer that for right. you. So what I did is, so again, I love to exercise. So I changed my schedule. I woke up at five, did my exercise, did everything, made it happen. So I'm free at seven. <laughs> you see the problem? Good yeah. job. Great. I don't know. Do we have any other words of advice, not just me or uh, any other ways to help Ginjal? We're here to help each other. And Ginjal is telling us he needs our help. If we limit our needs, it's a great other ways of fear, yeah. right? You have a fear. Right. You have to mitigate the risk, financial risk. That's why you work hard, make more money for your future safety. But if you limit your needs, you know you need twenty five hundred a month. But still your goal your goal is making hundred thousand. Just because it's because it's there. Because you it, can huh? because you I can, can. exactly. It's the opportunity knocked on my door. How do I say no is is what I'm trying to learn. There are two things, right? One is the logic and one is emotion. You said you wanted to buy something. So your logic said, I don't need it because I have too many in my house. But emotion said, I don't have that blue shirt. So what, what happened? Depend upon who's strong, emotion or logic is one way. So whenever you go out in the shopping. Again, and again, I've been wearing this. So the way I did it to just curve my spending grip is I don't buy anything till I can donate it so and I've been doing this for maybe five six years is I will not buy a shirt if I can't donate one of my existing ones what, what I did in my life I have eight pair of clothes <coughs> for the house for going out and for the function if I buy one I have to get rid of two that's only thing I've done. And, and that's what I did is my closet looks like banana republic you know <laughs> only seven eight ten clothes if I can donate one of those, then the only way I'll buy it. If I can't, then it solves the problem, right? Morning, it's not time to select what you want to wear. Your mama used to have how many? Yeah. 
classic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, three or four. Yeah. Uh, Uncle also alluded to it, but I'll make it plain and clear in case anybody has missed it. Freedom from money is to be found by faith in Jainism because as you understand karma theory, when you believe you're a soul and when you believe that karma is true and you receive all the fruits of your actions, you don't care about money anymore because you know it will take care of itself. And that is incredibly freeing to not worry about money. Even if you have a lot, even if you have a little. That is, if you have faith in the truth, if you have faith in what is in this book, if you believe your soul, whether you're rich or whether you're not rich, it is freedom to escape the clutches of money. And the freedom may be found in Jainism. That is, once you start to understand how money comes into your life and look through look look and review your life and see how money comes and how money goes and whether that's related to your actions or not you'll find that it will take care of itself if you don't worry about it how many of us have been in that situation like we're so worried about finding a partner and everybody says you're trying too hard it will take care of itself if you don't worry about 
trying to attract a girl, right? Or how many of you have been worried about something else and saying, that this is the most ridiculous piece of advice anybody could ever give you. Of course it won't take care of itself. I gotta go out and find a partner. I gotta become attractive. I gotta go out and go on dates and stuff like that. I am telling you, if you let yourself not worry about money, it will take care of itself and it will work out. And to you, depending on where you are, that sounds like the most ridiculous piece of advice ever. But I'm telling you it's the truth. Ashokoko is telling you it's the truth. And Mihir is telling you it's the truth. If you believe in Jainism, and if you don't even believe in Jainism, if you just stop worrying about money, it will work itself out. And that is one of the ways to combat it. The problem is, we're scared. The problem is we're scared. What if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not a soul? That's what the answer is, right? That's what the real question is. What if I'm not a soul? What if nothing happens when I die? Well, then nothing happens. But what if you are a soul? Isn't that worse? That's true. Shouldn't you be, shouldn't you live your life as if you are a soul? Because you are a soul, right? That's what we're scared of, okay? And I'm trying to tell you not to be scared. What you said, right? I have a, one, one more That's great. So here's the example, right? I make a promise to myself. Anything I earn over $100,000 in a year, I'm going to donate. That's it, period. And I abide by that promise. Well, now when an opportunity comes for me to make more money, why should I do it? I'm going to donate it anyway, right? I don't want to do that. I'd rather spend my time working on my other goals. Uh, instead of chasing that opportunity, which is not going to amount to more money in my bank, well, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to use that time to take my wife out on a date, you know? I'm going to, that's a great idea. I love that. Anything over a certain amount is gone. I behave as if it doesn't, and that way I can escape that. You know, I really like that. Yes. You know, the two things uh, you worry, right? The things is not in your control. Don't worry about it. And things in your control, you don't have to worry about it because you're in control. Simple. Yes. Same thing we discussed last session. Uh-huh. Things which is not in your control, then why? Right, right. And so, it might seem like the money that comes into your life is in your control. It's not in your control. <laughs> so don't worry about it. It will come and it will go. And have you ever experienced that? Like, you look back on something you were really worried about, and you're like, "Why was I so worried about that?" Well, he's telling us. He's telling us from experience. Why are you so worried about it? Okay, that's what he's trying to tell us is to let it go. And that's the hardest thing because we feel like we want to be in control. We feel like that attachment. 
attachment. because of attachment, right? So we made a lot of kind of um, a lot of statements. Any questions or comments about anything we talked about? Okay, so uh, it's important to find out what kind of relationship with money you have, but also what kind of relationship with money your kids have, right? Your kids are guaranteed, even right now, if they're very little, they have a relationship with money. And you need to think about that. You need to think about whether they're spenders, whether they're savers, if they're spenders, how to get them to save a little bit, if they're savers, how to get them not to be attached to numbers going up in their account. Uh, we need to think about our children's relationship with money and how to make it a healthy one and how to tell them what Ashok uncle is telling us in the way that they can understand so that they have kind of uh, a healthy relationship with money. Anybody notice anything about money in their children? Any, any children begging them for money apart from what it can buy them? Anybody's children? Poor children, because they are not earning it. Right. It is very easy to spend. To spend. <laughs> I'll give you today's example. You know, my son called me from India. Oh, daddy, please transfer me 4,300 rupees into my account. I need it immediately. I said, you can't put a gun point on my head and say I need this money. He said, no, I am calling mama. She is not answering my call. I am at a shop. I need to spend that money. I need to buy a shoe. Please transfer me. She, he doesn't have a value for 4,300 rupees. Right. She's a spender. When it comes, when they will earn money, maybe they will realize what is the value of money. But yeah, they don't have a value for money. Right. And so, how can we teach kids the value of a dollar before they get a job and earn it? I don't know what Americans do. They ask the kids to do the chore. If you do this chore, it is fine. That's what they do. questions or comments about anything we talked about today so as you drive home today I want you to think about how you we didn't get to it but we it's becoming the recurring theme of our meetings that how are you going to change your life based on what we talked about today that is it's all well and good for us to sit here but to take Jainism out of these four walls and into your life 
how are you going to change your life based on what we talked about today? Unfortunately, we don't have time to discuss. We had a very fruitful discussion, but I want you to think about that on your way home. That is, how are you going to change your life based on what we talked about today? Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Good job.